Hello world and welcome to another episode of LJ Presents. This week is Jason Regasta. He is a writer and director and he is currently working on his first feature film, ZTV The Preserve. It's a great zombie film that is going to get made. Uh, pretty soon there's going to be a Indiegogo campaign. Should be starting today. You'll get all that information in the linear notes on anchor.com which is where this podcast is hosted also you get you can get to check out his uh short films before uh ztv but the great thing about jason is that he actually started out doing a lot of other things before he got uh, to this feature film he was a stop motion uh, animator you can find more information about that on youtube where he's got some of his stuff uh, on there as well and he's a storyboard artist great illustrator very talented and he also did a tedx talk a few years back where he talked about some of his fears which cre- which had him create boy in the dark which uh, talked about it his his way of getting rid of some of his demons as a young child he had an overactive imagination so he couldn't go to sleep and he would think of all these fantastical things so as an adult he created his first uh short film which was boy in the dark uh but also he had a taste of what it's like to do a big budget film he was also a production assistant uh, and post-production uh, assistant for john carter of mars who was actually able to rub elbows with uh, some of the fine folks at disney and pixar here in the bay area so without further ado i present to you mr jason regasta Some of that stuff, like some of the stuff that's on your IMDb, even though it's really small, but you've been doing like a whole bunch of other stuff, you know? Oh yeah. Like didn't you do? Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like didn't you? You did some stuff with the the CG brothers. Um, is that, is that? I don't think so. No. Did you do a documentary? Oh yeah. I, so I did. Um, I did uh, these. Uh, short documentaries on pre-visualization with the pre-visualization society. Uh, I was a co-director with um, Daniel Gregoire from Halon Entertainment. Um, they, they do like previs on like things like Star Wars and like huge blockbuster films, you know, like um, super, like they did Aquaman. They did a bunch of other ones. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I met them. I met Dan when we were working on, uh, when Albert and I were working on John Carter um, as PAs, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we first got in there, the way that we got in is our, our, this guy, Rich, that we knew brought us in to shoot, um, pre-production, um, kind of behind the scenes, uh, shorts. And so, uh, I directed two of those, um, for John Carter. One was called, uh, Barsoom 101, which was like an overview of the Carter world and all of the characters and stuff. And, and I used all this beautiful art from like, um, uh, from Ryan, uh, Ryan Church, um, and, uh, and Michael Cruce, who did like amazing creature designs. Uh, and we just put them like full size behind everybody's heads when we interviewed them and stuff. And it was beautiful. And they actually used that as kind of like a welcome to Carter, um, kind of boot camp video for the crew once they got to production, which was pretty cool. 
Um, and then the other one was called, um, uh, oh God, I forget the name. It was like something having to do with the white apes. And we had filmed Mark Andrews, who's the director of Brave and one of the writers on Carter um, mm. in a mocap suit, like going around being one of the white apes. It was pretty awesome. So yeah, it was fun. And you could see <laughs> him like, like he's T-posing because, you know, he's an animator. So he gets all the jokes. He's like T-posing and he's like walking around normal. <laughs> it's just, uh, it was really cool. Oh, walking around with, the, with his arms straight out. Well, he had him like on the ground, you know, he's like going around like a, like a, an ape. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah <laughs> that's so fun. that, that's what led to the Halon gig. Like we did a promo video for Halon, uh, first cause Dan really liked the videos we did. And then, uh, you know, Dan asked me to team up with him and, and bring my crew along to, uh, to, to do the, um, to do the, the pre-visualization um, documentaries. And we worked on those for a couple of years and it was really cool. We got to interview like John Favreau and like, um, you know, Rick McCullum, who's a producer on the, the oh, nice. prequels of star Wars and like, yeah. um, people that had been involved in avatar. Um, and, and cause, uh, Brad Anderson, I, I believe, uh, he, he was on that. He's one of, uh, Dan's partners at Halon and, and yeah, like all these amazing, like, like, you know, we have like previs or actually I think it was post viz there are different types of viz um we had post viz from iron man 2 and one of them it's it really neat yeah oh that's cool that's cool yeah a buddy of mine does a hair and cloth sim down in oh, nice. la and um yeah we were we were roommates uh when i was in graduate school in uh, savannah georgia and again when you know during my stint down in la and just you know seeing his work you know from school until you know like what he's doing now like what was the last thing he did it was last thing i remember was justice league he had worked on oh nice black panther um pretty much you name every heavily cg you know tentpole blockbuster he sure probably you know like worked on it uh, yeah so, no it's awesome you know, yeah i mean once you get into yeah. the bloodstream and you're working at a certain level you'll get more of it which is nice yeah 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 so you know just just seeing the the amount of work that goes in is uh like i knew and then like watching him you know like come home and you know like showing me stuff this was before he had like really um broke out because during our stint in la he had like touched on a few things you know like here and there but it really didn't happen until um like what maybe 2006 i think it was like the line the witch in the wardrobe oh, wow. where he really started you know getting that that work in but yeah. uh yeah it seems like i'm i'm going a little backwards why don't you give us a little <laughs> a little bio about yourself and tell us what you do what you did and uh what you're working on now oh man okay so the from the beginning uh yeah so uh my yeah my, my name's jason i i for our viewers like or listeners uh, Jason Rogessa and I started my career actually as a storyboard artist at a stop motion animation studio called Reckless Abandon Studios in East Granby, Connecticut, um, over on the East Coast. And mm-hmm. um, and you know I and basically it was like I had just come out of art school. I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, um, and and basically studied illustration there. Although um, it was pretty general fine arts, I was doing oil painting and sculpting and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and you know, I, they let me kind of in like, like as a kind of intern, uh, at first and then they were like, we'll try you out and see if it works. And then after like, I think a week or two, I was hired as a, as a storyboard artist, which was pretty awesome. 
Um, and then from there, I started doing like um, set and prop stuff. Like I was doing concept design and then actually building some stuff. Um, and then, you know, because there are different phases to stop motion, especially on a larger project. Um, once we were done with pre-production, um, I went over to the camera side. So I started working as an AC and kind of like a unofficial gaffer, just basically assisting uh, John Luce, our cinematographer there. Um, and yeah. back then, you know, we were shooting on uh, Mitchell Rackover 35 millimeter film cameras and like a f- we had one freeze um, visual effects camera. You know, it's like the kind of thing they'd use at like ILM or something um, to do like mm-hmm. special effects stuff. Um, and it was really cool. You know, I was loading, loading and unloading 35 millimeter film mags, which was really neat, you know, using the, the black bag and everything. It's really, really cool. Um, and yeah, you know, that was just an extraordinary experience that just kind of introduced me to the whole, the whole kind of like world of film, you know, cause before that I had just, you know, in college, I, I literally just woke up one day and was like, I need to make films. I need to not be an illustrator. And, uh, oh, that's right. Okay, so you started as an illustrator, and yeah. then it, then you decided, oh, you're you're going to make films. I was going to ask if you had wanted to be a filmmaker all along, but you just started getting work. Originally, a- I wanted to be a lawyer, and then because <laughs> my condolences, <laughs> I know because well, in my into my parents, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, basically, <laughs> um, you know, um, basically the uh, <laughs> it was like. Um, you know, there are a lot of lawyers in my family and they were very successful. So I was like, well, that works, you know, that can work. Um, and my sister's a lawyer and she's very successful and she's married to another lawyer. But, um, basically I was like, all right, I got to figure out something to do with my life. That's, um, that I want to do (laughs) that I'm really interested in. And that's when (laughs) I decided to do film. And so what I did was I went out and started buying up all these film books and I started teaching myself and, um, and I got a, uh, a Bolex. I, I went out and bought a 16 millimeter Bolex that was like non-reflex. Wow. So you couldn't even see through it when you're shooting. <laughs> That's the kind of Bolex it was. Um, so I actually wow. built this like wooden tripod sleigh that would adjust for the like vertical and horizontal shift of the lens when it rotated into position to shoot. Cause you had one viewing position and then you had one shooting position um, on that one. And so, and I shot mm-hmm. a music video uh, black and white music video, I think set to a David Bowie song. Um, and then I shot a stop motion, a color stop motion film. And, and the whole film came out and it was in focus, um, which was pretty amazing. But, you know, with film cameras, what's cool is you could get focus just by measuring and it would be accurate, exactly. you know. So, yeah. and they even have like, they used to have like a little kind of scribe mark on the camera that you could measure from to make sure it was exactly that's exactly where the film gate is or you know um where where you had to focus from um so it was pretty wild you know and and that's why you know once i had finished up at reckless i kind of went on to do some first day c work um on a couple things like commercial and some other stuff and then that didn't last long and i got into art department after that so i was doing um art director and mainly art director gigs. Um, Mm -hmm. I tried to be a production designer. I was almost a production designer on one film, and then I got kind of demoted uh, down to art director. But I I dug being an art director. It was fun. Um, And I worked on a feature um, called Bedford Springs in uh, Mm -hmm. Newport, Rhode Island. You know, it's funny. So you mentioned my IMDb earlier. But what a lot of people don't know is if you look up Jason Ragusta on IMDb, 
um, three, three or four come up and they're all me, <laughs> but I kind of <laughs> like how mine, my main one is like, it's just all the kind of higher end stuff. So I've left it. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah but it's, it's funny, you know, I, I really have done a lot more than I remember. Uh, and there are a lot more that aren't on there, you know? Um, but, Oh, f- for example, Oh, which one do you want to talk? Which one do you want to talk about first? (laughs) Oh well, you know, I only saw the one that had like "boy," like your short film "Boy in the Dark." uh, Yeah, that one's on there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But let's see. I think, uh, like, did you do you have a hand at a stop motion animation? Did you do any Lego? Oh yeah, yeah. I did a series of. That was was you. I did several uh, stop motion animation um, shorts for Lego um, through through the website uh, Tongle. I don't know if you're, if your um, listeners are aware of Tongle. Tongle's really cool. It's like a contest-based crowd um, sourcing um, advertising site. So what you do is you, they, they have a certain amount of money that they'll give you to make stuff, and then you, you can win money at the end if yours is the best one out of the ones that get made. Um, so you have to do like a pitch and then Um, and then that, that there's like a pitch phase and then there's like the production phase where they give you money to make the thing. And then there's like Mm -hmm. the final judgment of like, which of the like five or six of them they made is the best. And I won quite a few of them, uh, and, and made about like, I think eight to 12 grand, uh, per short, which was pretty good. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's per short. Yeah, it's lucrative um, if you win. The, the problem that happened to me is even though the quality was very high and they were thrilled with it, you know, like these things have millions of views on YouTube and, and you know, through the Lego channel and, and also they're on Xfinity on demand, uh, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But what happened was all these like little mom and pop like 3D animation companies started getting in on it. And that just drove me right, right. out of it because, like, they're doing, like, full CG animated stuff. And, and to me, it was kind of a shame because, like, you know, one of the cool things about doing stop motion with Legos is, like, you're showing kids what they can do with the toys. Like, that the exactly like there is so much potential and detail in these little Legos. And I used to use, like, macro lenses and get in and I could do close-ups, you know, on the Lego figs. Wow. Um, yeah. And, yeah, like, um, so... So it was pretty wild, man. Like, like I love doing that. I, I have ideas for doing more. There was a Star Wars, Star Wars one that I wanted to do. I had a Justice League one that I shot most of. <laughs> I even carved like a full, um, like um, Fortress of Solitude out of foam, and it was painted. There were crystals in it. It was, it was sick. Damn, and like, man. like um, uh, what's his name showed up. Uh, uh, Lex Luthor showed up in his mech suit to like, you know, just slap the shit out of Superman. It was great, yeah. And then Batman shows up, and he goes up against Bane, and he's like, "Yeah, it was fun, fun stuff." Uh, yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. My son has um has an interest in stop motion animation, oh, and man. you know, oh yeah, you know, I tip my hat off to him. I remember a couple of years back, I, uh, I, you know, he asked me to help him out on it. And I think after an hour of just focusing on it, like I had tapped out, you know, I was like, <laughs> I, wow, like I, I need a break. I don't like, I don't understand this whole, take a picture, move the object, take a picture again. Like, so I have mad respect and he's actually still doing it now. He showed me a, um, a couple of, uh, star Wars, uh, shorts that nice. he had done because we had just seen oh yeah yeah he's he's really really getting into it uh, and and i'm and i'm actually 
pretty much like I need to start, you know, looking for people to be like, hey, take a look at this. You know, can you just like, you know, can. Yeah. Like like could he like, you know, either like you or anyone else, you know, like can he just like watch and see what you're doing and learn from. Oh, awesome. Also, I mean, if he he wants to come over, bring him over sometime, I can show him a bunch of stuff, too. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. He just, and he literally showed me, he did like the last, uh, the last, uh, fight scene between, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. And he actually had Anakin melting, you know? And so, yeah, definitely. And he's like humming the theme song and all that stuff. (laughs) It was awesome. You know, he got (laughs) like the, uh, stop motion app on his iPad and he just, you know, kept doing it. So keep doing it, man. As long as you're into it. You know, one of the first tricks I'd say is like, you know, don't be afraid to take two frames instead of one. Um, Mm. I did most of mine in two frame and it's so much quicker. Um, And there's more, Mm -hmm. you get a little more leeway with the gap, you know, in terms of the persistence of motion and and all that. And and I thought it was great. You know, I could tear through scenes. um, I could do like 30 to 40 seconds a night sometimes that way, um, which is a lot when you're doing a two minute short, you know um oh yeah, but yeah sure. like like um but yeah i can show them all kinds of tricks so um yeah we can set that up sometime and, awesome uh, yeah, yeah yeah and and you know it's a shame that you know once these you know in you know looking back and seeing how like the mom and pop you know cg houses you know are we're starting to get in on the game i'm going to assume it was a means of maybe getting another revenue stream in or or for or for uh, marketing Right. And so kind of taking away from, you know, just the single, you know, guy or gal who's doing it for fun or doing it, you know, for the experience and just getting, you know, getting their foot in the door into it. So I mean, they were probably doing it for the same reason I was. I mean, um, yeah, but but ultimately, I mean, you know, more power to them. I mean, they did beautiful work. (laughs) I don't don't hold it against them. It just drove me out of there because suddenly there was no money um, and I had to move on. And then I overextended on one thing. I'd written like a, a web series. It was like a stop motion web series. And I, I kind of like they kind of told me I had it before I had it. And so mm-hmm. I dropped like a thousand bucks on the figures. And then they were like, oh, these CG guys did something. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even a web series. It ended up being like three kind of like commercials that linked together in pieces. But I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I yeah. can't, you know, I can't, I can't keep going. This, this just broke the bank on me. Um, so yeah, right. and then so I moved on um, to doing uh, more just like indie indie film stuff and pursuing that. Okay, yeah. how did you get? Now was this before or after uh, John Carter? Like when you were on? Oh, this is editorial. Yeah, after. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. After. So how did you get? How did you get into do uh, John Carter of Mars? Yeah, so um, and you, you, so basically, no, um, my, my friend Colin, um, uh, Colin Day, um, who actually is mm-hmm. is the director of Saving Banksy, which is a really dope documentary. Oh yeah, um, he was yeah, working with that. me as a DP at the time. You know, he was like my director of photography on some stuff, and he knew this guy Rich Enriquez, um, who was working as an assistant to the producer um, on on John Carter. And, um, and he basically, they, you know, he had this idea of doing these, these behind the scenes videos, um, these kind of pre-production behind the scenes videos. So, and those are the ones I was kind of talking about earlier. Um, and, and basically he brought, um, you know, Colin, he brought Colin in, Colin brought me in and, uh, we also brought our buddy Albert Lopez, who is our editor, um, in, 
Um, and then Jack Fustings, who was our sound guy. And uh, we went in and, and shot interviews and with, with all of these like, you know, huge people within the industry and like, um, and mm. we turned around a cut super fast. You know, me and me and Albert used to work like we'd be up basically at my place late at night playing like um, Marvel versus Capcom three. And like, like when, <laughs> when we're rendering and, and, uh, and going tearing through these edits, you know, um, and he was yeah. involved with the stop motion stuff as well. You know, we had kind of like a good kind of quick paced uh, production thing going on at the time. And yeah, you know, they just loved, they loved the two videos and then they went off to shoot, you know, they went off to shoot the film and then when they came back, they needed some PAs. So we threw our hats in the ring and, and they hired us as editorial PAs. Um, you know, Albert actually worked in the editorial room with um, Eric Zimbrennan, uh, who was an amazing mm-hmm. editor. He was, he was mm-hmm. Spike Jones's editor on like, um, on, on, um, you know, like uh, where the wild things are and like, uh, like they had literally, oh, wow, him, yeah. him and his team had literally just come off of where the wild things are when we uh, worked with them. But he, you know, he cut like being John Malkovich and stuff. So we, me and Albert were just like in awe of even being near him. Um, oh, of course. And and he went and saw Scott Pilgrim with us when he came out, which was dope. Um, and, uh, and we okay. got to hang out with him a bit. He was a super cool guy. Um, sadly, he passed, um, he, cancer took him um, a couple of years mm. ago, which was sad, but amazing mm-hmm. guy he was also an editor on her as well uh which is amazing wow. film. but yeah um we will always God, i miss, miss that film easy. i still need to see it it's a beautiful film it's an amazing yeah. film and it deals with ai and like like sci-fi in a way um that's so natural like like it isn't about ai killing us or or, or um you know being subjugated by us it, it goes in a whole another direction it's just amazing uh it's such a great film um but anyway yeah so, that's cool yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So we were brought in, and um, and and we did that, and then and then yeah. So and then I was more of like an office PA. Um, so I worked directly under Rich, and um, and just kind of kept everything flowing in the office, and made sure everybody had supplies and set up things for meetings and and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. one of the coolest things about it was because you know we were working. Did you guys for, cut it here up here in the? Yeah, yeah. No? Um, so okay. our office was originally, um, it was originally in Fantasy, the Fantasy Record Building, which was an amazing thing to work there. Um, but oh, we'd yeah, be, that's right. okay. but we'd also be back and forth to Pixar a lot, you know, for meetings and stuff. And eventually, we were moved kind of like on just off the Pixar lot when Monsters University finished. We moved into that, mm-hmm. um, and I over kind of helped oversee that move. And then that was my kind of last job on on Carter. And then I moved on to doing the indie film stuff. Yeah. So what 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 was it like? Because I mean, I'm sure you could have, uh, you know kept on you know doing that you know but you would have like the golden handcuffs as a oh no it wasn't an option believe me i would have stayed i would have stayed if i could have yeah no um they they just um that was just when they didn't need me anymore at that point i'd been there for a year so it was awesome you know um but yeah they they were just like uh yeah we're good um and and so yeah so that cut (laughs) loose to uh to move on to the other stuff you know um, All right, cool. So, how did you keep that? How did you keep that momentum going? Did you already have something lined up? Like when you like you knew the last day was like this day, and so like the next day, where you're like, okay, now I'm going to get started on this project that I'm doing. Um, well, you know what was cool is while while we were on Carter, Albert and I actually made a short film. Um, he directed it, and it was his idea, his concept, and I was a writer on it, and then um, I was the director of photography, and it was called Love Hurts. Um, so, you know, and, and we did it for pretty low money. We did a couple of Indiegogo, um, videos to fund it. 
Um, and, and, you know, but we had like a 48 minute film, I think in, in the first cut that he had after like spending about 15 grand, which wasn't bad. You know, that was like, we probably could have, we probably could have made it a feature, honestly, if we had been, uh, been thinking more clearly about it at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we easily could have expanded it into a feature and, and, you know, um, what was cool is when we were going to do it, you know, we had this love of like these kind of B genre like action films you know like i showed albert the last dragon i don't know if you've ever seen the last dragon but yes i have (laughs) it's one of my very favoritest films as a child and you know i saw i I showed it to albert and he was like how have i not been watching this film all my life and i'm like i know it's like the greatest film ever made with bruce leroy and and show enough the shogun of harlem is like the greatest thing it's a fucking classic man (laughs) oh i know i know and we were like blown away and you know vanity is amazing in it and time act all these guys so so i showed to him and we're like okay this is kind of what we're doing it was kind of like the last dragon meets hot fuzz is what we were aiming for (laughs) and and that is what we made you know (laughs) and and what was cool is um you know i think a year and a half or actually it might have been three years later when we finished it because we were shooting it on weekends you know um when people Mm -hmm. were available um but we did do like a pretty big shoot it was like a weekend shoot in ogawa plaza in in uh in oakland and we had permits and cops and everything for that because we had mark andrews who you know once again he was one of the writers on carter and and the director of brave for pixar he's up on Mm -hmm. we had him on a roof we put all these scars on his face (laughs) with makeup you know margaret kerrigan from pandora (laughs) effects just killed it put these amazing scars on his face i did some concept art for it and then uh, we had him on a roof with a sniper rifle. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> in the yeah, middle of you Oakland, need cops and permits. <laughs> and he's and he's aiming at like people on those segways, you know, down below. <laughs> and I'm like, God, hopefully nobody looks oh up because you can see him with the gun going over because we're shooting him, but you can't see the cop on the roof with him. <laughs> but he could call it. What is is if he heard anything, he could call in on the radio, you know, and say, "Oh no, we're shooting. Right. Don't worry." <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. But, Please you know, don't come in guns blazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like three days of like really intense shooting action. It was awesome. And then, um, so so basically, three years later, when the thing was all done, from when we began, you know, we had been writing and shooting over that time. Um, uh, you know, the premiere of the of the short and festivals was at, um, I believe it was the Urban Action Showcase in New York. It was actually in kind of in Times Square at the HBO building. Um, and it was pretty amazing. You know, we went out there, it was, it was unbelievable. And then, you know, we, we screened in the thing and then we actually won like best short, um, at, at the festival and, and we're sitting there and they, they literally right before we got the award and everything, um, Timac was there being honored for the last dragon. (laughs) We were just like, we found our tribe. (laughs) We found our place. (laughs) So it was like, did did he see the short? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Oh, no, okay. he was just there to be honored that night. You know, film festivals are, are very interesting things and they're structured a very specific way. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I don't think he saw our short. <laughs> Pretty sure he didn't. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean that would have been <laughs> super cool. But yeah, so um, so yeah, you know, it was it was really cool. Um, but it was just neat. You know, I think if like in terms of indie film, it's like you know if you really love a genre and you really embrace it. And, and you you um, you really go for it, you know, you can kind of find your it, it, you end up becoming part of the bloodstream of that. And it just kind of like it's like a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, 
you know um yeah and and you know yeah, that's sure. yeah and that's what we're trying to do now with etv you know with the like with horror you know we're, that's that's my main thing i've always been more of a horror guy more of a creature guy um so that's that's my mm-hmm. thing um and and so that's that's what i'm working on now yeah cool so as far as like genre films like what what was what was the movie that you decided okay i want to be in this genre you know what i mean like what was there like a film that was total that totally got you in, in into this into this game i mean i guess you know what's funny is i'm in reality i'm a horror slash sci-fi guy um mm-hmm. i think that's because of star wars for sure um that would probably made the biggest impact on me as a kid um, but then some of the other ones are like poltergeist just scared the living crap out of me as a kid. Yeah. I saw it way too yeah. young and made me terrified of, <laughs> of basically clowns more than anything. That, that clown puppet Fair messed enough. me up. Um, Fair enough. And then, uh, Clive Barker's Nightbreed was a huge influence on me when I was younger. Um, which gotcha. is heavy, heavy creatures. I think there's even some stop motion in there. There's puppetry. There's all kinds of cool stuff in that one. There's like so many creatures in it. Um, and then that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, aliens, I got picked up from soccer practice one day and got brought to aliens, uh, by Bob <laughs> Monk. He was like a friend of our family or I used to go see horror films with, and that film mm-hmm. terrified me when I was that age. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he took you to the movie theater to yeah, see yeah. Alien? Aliens. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was the second Alien. One. Oh, so yeah. Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I was just young enough where it was just terrifying. <laughs> you know, now I see it as an action <laughs> film. It's not as scary to me. But when, when you know, like all the mucus and the cocoons and like how they're like defenseless and begging to be killed, you know, it's like, geez. yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that definitely... Uh, had me going as a kid um oh man yeah, yeah. i remember seeing like this was when a uh, cable was you know up front hbo was in you know was yeah, just yeah. starting out like mm-hmm. i remember seeing alien on tv sure but then yeah i definitely went to go see aliens you know in the movie theater but yeah but the first alien that that was the one that just you know like it just scared the shit out of me you know yeah like, no the first was alien that... was amazing um i didn't see that yeah. one until later i don't think though I think I saw Aliens okay. first, although I love Alien. It's one of my favorite films. Uh, it's one of, I think, one of yeah. the most perfect films ever made um, structurally. Um, it's like that one, mm-hmm. the director's cut of Blade Runner, and like, you know, 2001. Like, like those films all kind of like are in this space of their own in terms of just how meticulously constructed they are and, and how kind of perfect they are. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, but yeah, so... And then, you know, that of all, so the other thing is from a very early age, I was reading horror books. So I was reading all the Stephen mm-hmm. King books. I was reading Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. Um, and then I was also reading Clyde Barker books. And I think for a while, uh, my friend uh, Mike and I, uh, <laughs> Mike Arsenal, um, God bless him. He, uh, uh, we, like, I think the Great and Secret show was kind of our unofficial Bible for a while. <laughs> We were reading it over and <laughs> okay. over again. Yeah. So like, um, so, you know, there's just like a real upset. And that's the thing. Like I, I've been reading uh, books as well as watching films from a very early age and, and just been obsessed with story, you know, in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to you know, the day. great thing, you know, I, I remember the, um, the cool thing that uh, you did when you spoke uh, at, at a TEDx uh, oh, yeah, conference. Yeah was was the whole concept of of world building because yeah. you know as you know like when i'm sure when we were kids you know we would 
do all this great big daydreaming of, oh, what if they actually did, you know, Justice League or what if they did the Avengers or what if they like had a team up of, you know, like heroes and villains and stuff like that. Like, you know, back in the day, that was probably unheard of simply because of the fact that, you know, like a movie theater would get the rights to a particular character and then next and then that's its own entity. So one movie theater movie theater one studio. one yeah. one movie company who had yeah studio had the rights for one for one character and another studio that had the rights like never the two shall yeah it all got of, divvied know, up like ip yeah yeah and so yeah and so you know it's just crazy that you know you start out with marvel who took all like the the b lineup and amassed you know the infinity saga of 22 films all leading up to Endgame. So, but you had actually, you know, spoken about it, you know, way before before we got to uh, Infinity War or Endgame. So, how, how did you get? How did you get to talk about that at a TEDx? Yeah, so it was actually really cool. Um, it was it was basically because of Margaret Kerrigan, uh, who who's one of my closest collaborators, and um, you know, the owner and operator of Pandora Facts, which is one of the greatest. I, I love them so much. They do all my creature and makeup effects great stuff people. and blood and guts and stuff. Um, and, and yeah, so like, um, basically, um, she kept getting me into going to Kraken Con, um, which is a Bay, Bay, a local Bay, uh, kind of like, uh, comic con kind of thing. And, um, I was presenting, I was doing a panel on a film that I was collaborating with Margaret on, which was at the time called, um, I believe it was called uh, the Ballad of Celia Lee or something. It was like this VR horror experience that Margaret and I were collaborating on. It was going to be a short, um, and I was doing a panel on it. I'd done all this concept art and written, you know, a script and everything, and we were getting ready to shoot it. Um, and then what ended up happening is uh, one of the organizers for the TEDx um, um, event uh, saw the listing on the KrakenCon website, and then she reached out to me over LinkedIn. Uh, which was interesting and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, wow. yeah, absolutely. I'd love to, to do a talk for TEDx. Um, and yeah, and so I put together, um, you know, I believe it's called World Building um, Experiments and Immersive Storytelling, I think was the name of it. And yeah, and I talked about um, storytelling in VR, film, and games. Um, right. Yeah, and, and it was a, a lot of fun. I'll tell you, it was nerve-wracking. You know, I was like, okay. I'm going to be up there giving a TEDx talk. I better have something interesting to say. And, and uh, my girlfriend, yeah, exactly. Julie, can attest to this. It's like I, I worked on it um, meticulously. But what's funny is I used this thing where I didn't memorize like a script. I just um, had it written out as like one word topics that I knew would go in mm. a certain order. I had it in a little card in my hand, although I don't remember if I looked at it because I was so nervous. Um, and then I would do the. No, I just saw it last night. I, I don't remember you <laughs> seeing it. Yeah, yeah. I just looking, had it kind of cars. palmed in my hand, which was probably very sweaty at the end. And and yeah, so <laughs> I would just kind of do the talk in front of Julie, and she would time it, and then give me you know comments. And then I think I was in the bathroom like three or four times before I went on. But luckily, I went early, so it, I got the. Um, <laughs> the nervous it, it was done early and then i could just relax the rest of the time yeah <laughs> but yeah. it was fun i mean it was thrilling it was a really thrilling experience and, and i love doing it um and yeah you know yeah. um and that's where boy in the dark came from you know the opening of my tedx talk was this mm -hmm. story from when i was a kid and how i was like i had this overactive imagination and i i was a uh, narcoleptic i couldn't sleep um because i get 
put to bed early. I found out later my normal time of going to bed is like around 4 a.m., you know. But they're putting wow. me to bed at like 9 p.m. or like 8. And so I'm laying there in bed staring at the ceiling in the dark. Every like car light that comes across the window feels like a UFO or something that's going to come and grab me. And there, there were like faces <laughs> that would come out of the dark and monsters and stuff. And, you know, I was that's when I started kind of drawing and stuff. And, um, and yeah, so I told this story at the beginning of the TEDx talk. And then my friend uh, Tom Pankritz saw the TEDx. He's like, dude, you should do a short film about that about that whole kid in the dark thing. And so I was, that's where boy in the dark came from. Um, and that was kind of that's based on, on my childhood of being a young artist and being bullied and stuff. And, and yeah, and, and that worked out really well. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. It, you know, it's awesome how you can, you can take those, those dark things that happen that happened to you as a kid or as an adult and try and formulate it in a way so that you can exorcise, you know, you know, those demons, you know, for the most part, or at least like, or at least, you know, bring into question, hey, this is what I'm afraid of. And I'm bringing it to the forefront so that I can deal with it, you know, and I think that's one of the great things, you know, that artists, you know, can do is formulate what's going on in our heads, because chances are there, there are other people that are feeling the same way, and are going to take what you've created and uh, adopt it for their own. You know what I mean? I think that's, that's great, but for sure. Yeah. One of, yeah, definitely. And I think one of the cool things that you mentioned, you know, in that TEDx talk was, you know, the whole concept of VR as a means of entertainment. Of course, you know, there are definitely, you know, ways that, you know, virtual reality uh, can be used as uh, learning tools or tools in general or, or what have you. But, you know, I, I kind of wonder what I kind of wonder what's going to happen in the realm of entertainment. For me personally, you know, seeing a lot of people with something that's literally covering, you know, their eyes, like I, I, I think there's something missing. I don't necessarily want to say wrong per se, but I think there's, there's something missing and an element of, um, there's an element missing that I feel is off putting for yeah. the most part. You know well, what I mean? It's, it's true. Yeah. And, like and, I'm more, and that's what yeah. I get into in the, in the TEDx talk. Cause it's like, I think VR works great for, for games. It's an amazing thing for yeah. video games. Although there's still limitations even with that. Like when I tried it, it was very, like I didn't feel I had the same control I have with a controller, you know, because I'm kind of a gamer as well. Uh, that's how I unwind. Um, but basically, I mean, the, the problem with VR for film or like cinema is that you it downgrades the experience, strangely. Even though it's more immersive, mm -hmm. I guess, because you're in there, um, you're giving you're basically giving like limited control over what the viewer can do because they can turn their head. Right. Um, but all that right. does is allow them to not be focused on this precious moment that you create in a film, like in a 2d film or like even a 3d film, you're creating a singular experience where you're controlling the sound and the focus. And like, you're, it's basically a roller coaster. You're, you're putting the person on a roller coaster yeah. and they're in caps in cap, captivated by the image and that image which keeps changing you know 24 frames a second is bringing them on a very specific journey in vr you're giving them control of where they look but not control over where they go or what they do or initiating things um which is what a game does already naturally um and and what it does is and as soon as you cross over that line it's a game it's not a film anymore 
Um, and right. this is kind of like the catch 22 of, of VR for entertainment. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I'd love to be at a place where it's like ready player one, you know, I love that film. I'd love for VR right. to get there, but we're not there yet, yeah. you know? And, and, yeah. and personally, I think the technology that's really going to change things is going to be AR, um, augmented reality is going to change everything. And that's if they can implement it widely before holograms come, because holograms are going to be the thing that will come after that because you don't need. Well, that's what we're all leading to right yeah. now. Right. Is, is the holodeck. Like definitely. I'm like, Oh dude, as soon as we get a holodeck, you know, I think all bets are off. Well, even you know? just so. in terms of like, um, you know, instead of having a TV, you would have just like a little light emitter in the wall and it will just emit a screen as big as you want, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's what AR can mm. do if you're wearing the goggles. Um, it, holograms will be able to just do that without the goggles is what it is. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of where technology, I think, will go. And so it is, is it will be less of a device-based system, you know, um, and be more of like a projecting out in front of you kind of, interface i would think but that's just mm -hmm, my guess mm -hmm. of where it will go i don't know <laughs> well from what i understand and what other futurists have have talked about you know like certain shows like the first on hulu uh, -huh. uh they used they used like regular you know like glasses that had projected those images so you're you know you mentioned you just mentioned that and that's the first thing i thought of i was like oh the television show the first which is from a not too distant future where where people looked at content through glasses yeah you know not like google glass but like regular glasses that sure. you know and that's where it'll go eventually yeah. yeah that'll be what's the, like the thing past google glasses it'll also be uh, they're talking about implants and eyes they're also talking about um contacts you know uh eventually yeah, i'm not well. getting anything implanted i know I i'm i'm very I'm worried about that as well <laughs> yeah so i've seen too many black mirror episodes you know that, it's, it's good <laughs> like, prep to be very 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 afraid yeah for sure oh, definitely definitely but you know though yeah definitely i think ars i think should uh take the forefront uh as as far as as far as technology goes and as far as entertainment goes, uh, there's also, I think some movie theaters are trying to implement this, what, almost 360 the 4D thing. Oh yeah. 360, 4D yeah. thing. I, yeah. 360 or 4D thing or, or, or something where, you know, they're, I guess they're trying to implement that, that 360 VR experience, but without, you know, without the goggles, you know, that would be interesting to see. I think that uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, I think there's a theater that's and that movie is going to be implemented in, in that in that style. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely just like uh, just like film versus video, like when video, you know, started to started to, you know, come up to, you know, take the forefront of film. Uh, I, I don't think. I don't think 2D movies are going to die just like vinyl didn't die and just like film isn't going to go away uh, as long as there are people, you know, who are, you know, passionate, you know, about that medium. My viewpoint for the most part is, you know, film should be around and it's where it all started, but it was the technology of the time. So we shouldn't we should embrace, you know, what's being used now. You know what I mean? Because it's just going to democratize, you know, technology. But I think Kodak has done a very cool thing where they were, I think they're re-implementing like the uh, the Super 16 camera yeah. and making it so that 
Yeah, making it so that you can shoot on film and then you can send the cartridge in and then they send you like a digital file, right? Yeah. And they're making it cheaper to develop that. So, well, that's that's you know, cool that they're doing that. Cool I mean, that. I've shot on film. I think the concerns really for any indie filmmaker is that unless you have a ton of money for post, uh, film right. is not a legit option. It just isn't because the thing that you don't see is like all the post involved because like film gets scratched it gets dust on it. Like, like you need a really good scan of it, like a high quality scan. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you don't, it'll look like video to people. It won't look like film. Um, so if you don't have like the, these crazy post budgets that Hollywood films do to actually get the most out of it, um, film is not as, as good as say, like even like a red camera or like, um, an Alexa, you know, obviously an Alexa and, and stuff like that if you can use those or even a black magic, you know, um, the other issue right. I'd say is so like in a film roll, right? Like, like in a, a 400 foot roll of 35, you get three and a half minutes to shoot. Um, and that's, a like, I yeah. think a, a three or $400 roll of, of film. I mean, for a new filmmaker, your concentration should be on working with your actors and getting your story, right? It shouldn't be, right. um, worrying about how many, how quick your takes need to be in order to shoot the whole thing on film. I mean, it's just such a waste of resources, honestly, um, in defiance of like all of these technological advances that have democratized filmmaking and allowed so many people to make great indie films. I mean, people are making films on iPhones, you know, like Tangerine, some of this other stuff. There's a great app for the iPhone called Filmic Pro. Uh, any filmmakers yep. out there that aren't aware of this pr- app, check it out. It's like 15 bucks, but it'll be the best 15 bucks you ever spend if you want to shoot anything on your phone. Um, it allows you to do something that DSLRs and these other cameras can't even do. Um, you can pull exposure. So if you're walking through a door from inside to outside, you can literally pull exposure and keep it exposed properly, uh, going from two different lighting yeah. situations, which is amazing. Um, and then, and that's (laughs) on a phone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on one thumb. And then the other thumb, you can pull focus and it has like critical on it and stuff. Um, it lets you zoom. Uh, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And you can even remotely control another phone with you can like, like kind of like tether them so you can control it from an iPad or a phone. It's, it's really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's totally cool. Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I've got a, a buddy of mine, uh, Ulrich Purcell. He does uh, Making I know Movies Ulrich. is Hard, yeah. his podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I challenged him to an iPhone filmmaking challenge nice. because I had been talking about iPhones and he was just he was just so hesitant to do it until one day, you know, I had done a couple of guest episodes on, on his show and I finally talked him into uh, using Filmic Pro for, for his for his you know for his short and uh you know he was blown away by what what the possibilities you know could be yeah and uh we yeah so we actually have to record part two because both of our shorts are uh, pretty much done my his goal was pretty much like he wanted to do uh, a one take uh short film Mm -hmm. and just gain more experience with that and then for me the goal for my short was uh twofold one because i wanted to i wanted to do something with my son and number two i wanted to actually teach myself some visual effects and just so that I could actually like, like 
one knows that if you're doing a shot and you know you're going to you know do a visual effect that you know things have to be laid out a particular way has to be shot a particular way so that you know you know once you get it in post you you're not going to like pull your hair out sure you know trying to figure out yeah yeah so for me my short ended up being like a minute and a half but that minute and a half was enough for me to really really gain a whole lot of respect for directors and for uh the the people who do visual effects as far as like oh okay let me lay let me lay the camera down on the tripod so i can make sure that i have a clean plate shot so that you know i can tell my son hey when you move move this particular way because of x y and z that i'm going to do you know uh yeah. on, on the computer clean, later clean and plates are yeah. the best thing in the universe <laughs> yeah very important yeah. i used to use them and, in stop motion you know um one of the cool things what i do is like like there's a part in the um i did a uh a kind of Marvel universe um, uh, stop motion thing for the, one of the Lego ones I did. And I had Wolverine jumping through the air to attack Magneto. And he like puts up a hand and says, you shall not pass. Cause I was mixing. It was like for, it was meant for a comic con. So I was using lines from the same actor from different movies that were also, you know, fan things. <laughs> nice. Um, and so then Wolverine's like hovering in the air and his claws are kind of shifting with this metal sound. You know, he's like, have have coat your bones in metal they said you'd be indestructible they said you know he's all like frozen there but like in order to get that i had him on just like a thin piece of aluminum wire and i was just kind of like shaking him a little to get some blur and like getting all these frames it was a really dope effect but i had to paint out the wire you know in post and what it was is having that clean Mm -hmm. plate you know um makes it so easy because you literally just you put the the clean plate behind it and then you can literally just erase or, or um you know kind of like erase the roto wire. roto out the wire and you're good yeah, yeah. um yeah i almost had to i thought i almost had to do some rotoscoping which was like okay now i know why i needed to do this instead of that yeah. well i do <laughs> so I was like, oh, strangely i do most of my visual effects in photoshop <laughs> um mm. for the stop motion. oh right, right right so you break it down into frames no i just bring you can bring video no. into photoshop and do stuff um oh, and so okay. i kind of came up with my own processes occasionally if i do need to roto something i do it in after effects but i try to do as much as possible mm-hmm. in photoshop because uh i just find it's quicker and i can pretty much do anything in photoshop so yeah now did you do most of your visual effects for a uh, boy in the dark yeah, yeah, I did most of them, and once again in Photoshop. And then um, mm-hmm. my visual effects supervisor, uh, Christopher Logan, um, did some of the more complex shots at the end um, in that one. Yeah, gotcha. And how how was uh, how was Boy in the Dark received? I I had seen it like it was on what Creature Creature Features, the Creature yeah. Show on NAP TV. Yeah, Creature yeah. Features. Yeah. yeah, that show's great. Yeah, but then it. And then yeah, and then it had also shown at a couple of uh, film festivals, though. Yeah, right? yeah. So it premiered at the Dances with Films uh, Festival, uh, Dances with Film Festivals, and uh, in in L.A. at the TCL Chinese Theater. It was pretty amazing. Um, and then uh, it was at Holly Shorts in the Connect Festival. Um, and then I even got a distribution deal with um, with the Meridian Releasing Group, and it ended up being put on an anthology. Uh, of, of short kind of like sci-fi and fantasy films um, and sold on Blu-ray and DVD, 
which was really cool. So oh, yeah, cool. it did, did pretty well, you know? Um, and yeah, uh, it, you know, it's interesting cause when I got to the festival, you know, to dances, uh, when people found out I had made that film, they came up to me and like told me how much they liked it, which was really nice. And the, the reception, we had kind of a full house, um, when we premiered it and, and people seemed to really, really love it and came up to me afterwards. So I felt like it, it did really well. And, you know, the people that really connect with it seem to, to, um, get a, a real emotional charge out of it and really feel it. So that's, you know, I see that definitely as a success, you know, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, I think, um, tre- treading the line of dark and using kids as the main subject, I think, um, I, I think is very real because, you know, I think kids do deal with a lot of things that, you know, can be adult themed, but it's not necessarily watered down for, for a kid, but it's, they're dealing with some very real, you know, topics, you know, like fear and, you know, like in your particular case, having an overactive imagination. Right. And so how do you, how do you formulate that? So, and yeah, how do you formulate that, you know, for a kid and, you know, getting it out there so everybody can actually see it. So I tip my hat off to you, sir. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. And, and, um, and Tony, uh, Marin, who was the star, you know, he played Jake in, in Boy in the Dark. He was, he was amazing to work with. I mean, this kid was a pro. Mm -hmm. I mean, he came in, killed it. Now (laughs) the thing I hadn't anticipated is, you know, we had him around like, you know, working with Ted Harvey, his, his, the guy who played his dad on, on most of the days, or he'd be alone, you know, so I thought we were all set. And then when he was around the other kids, then he was a kid, <laughs> you know. And so that day right. was a little tougher, although he still, you know, killed it and, and is amazing in the film. He, he was amazing. But um, what was interesting is that um, I thought we'd get into like horror festivals because we had these really intense monsters that Pandora Effects, you know, Margaret and her team at Pandora mm-hmm. Effects had created. And, and, you know, these monsters were pretty legit. Like we had a couple of them. One was a smoke monster. He was like a shadow monster. Another one was this um, kind of spider queen um, mother character that had all these eyes in her head. And like, we didn't get to do the spider legs. I wish we had, but, um, mm. but you know, like, like, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary and, and cool, but we didn't have any blood. And so um, we, it did not bleed and therefore it did not screen at horror films festivals, which made me sad, but we won't have that problem with ZTV. Because we didn't have blood. Yeah. We have a lot of blood in ZTV, so I'm not. Yeah, you do. We're, we've we've corrected that. <laughs> We're not going to have a problem this time. <laughs> we've got blood. Yeah, so, we've got zombies. Yeah. We've got gore. We've got everything. Yeah. I mean, I think that's everything a horror film festival, you know, needs. Yeah, blood, guts, and brains. Yeah, you know, we and have zombies. it for you. I mean, what the hell, yeah. man? Come on, we got what you need. No Come on. Yeah. So ZTV. Yeah. This this is what we're here for. Like, I'm really, really, really excited, you know, uh, about this project. And, you know, just just simply because of the fact that, you know, every zombie film, you know, has like a social and political, you know, uh, theme, you know, and 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 this movie, you know, definitely, definitely has it. And, you know, I can't wait for you to actually you've been working on this for for quite some time, but you also had like a couple of other uh scripts yeah uh that you had already written so how did ztv kind of rise to the top yeah so i'd say the the best way to describe it is natural selection (laughs) so um (laughs) basically yeah the first uh 
so the first feature I ever wrote was actually an animated film. Um, cause at the time my proximity to Pixar, I thought, oh, this would be a good idea. Um, and that's still on a shelf somewhere and is awesome. And hopefully someday I'll get to do it, but I'm not anywhere near that. Cause that's like what hundreds of millions of dollars, <laughs> no big deal. Um, so yeah, mm. so that wasn't happening. Okay. So that went on the shelf. And then I wrote a horror film, um, uh, called the Ballad of Riley, and which was basically a feature version of that VR horror experience thing that Margaret and I were originally working on. Once I kind of abandoned the VR thing, cause I figured it was just kind of a dead end. I wrote it out into a feature and I submitted it to, um, writing contests. It placed as a quarter finalist in the screencraft, uh, screenwriting fellowship uh, competition, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the first time I had ever actually really submitted to one of those contests and, and placing in it was just, I was like, Oh, okay. So I'm not as weird as I thought I was <laughs> in terms of what I was writing. <laughs> I was like, okay, well if, if people in Hollywood are actually responding to it on that level and it got a great score, you know, in the first round, I think it was like 120 something out of 150, which wasn't bad. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And the bad. different values of it. Um, but then I was like, oh, God, we don't have 15 to $20 million to make this film. That sucks. Okay, what do we do now? So then I wrote Punching the Veil, uh, which was more in the 750000 to a million and a half. And I was like, and we came close to getting to a point where we could possibly raise that money, but it was going to take time and more money to get there mm -hmm. that we didn't have. Um, right. which was unfortunate because I was really excited about it. We brought it to um, AFM, you know, the American Film Market, which is actually where I met Ulrich. Uh, that's that's the first time I met Ulrich was strangely in oh. L.A. and not in the Bay, which was funny. And not in the yeah, Bay. Yeah, yeah, right. right. we were both there. <laughs> um, so, um, and I think he talked about going to AFM that time when we were there together and on his podcast as well. I think I heard him talk about it, which was funny. But um, but yeah, so, um, so at that point, I was like, okay, I need to write something that is scaled down to where we can actually shoot it, you know, cause we have an amazing group of collaborators and artists and talented people that can do way more than what the money we have, but we still need to have some money and it needs to be within the realm of possibility. Um, so I actually started writing right. something, um, that was actually a prequel to ZTV, which dealt with the occult origin of the zombies and where they came from. Um, but even that, once again, my, my damn imagination, um, it was too expensive. <laughs> it was just going to be, it was going to be too much. So <laughs> I was like, all right, that's it. I'm just going to write a found footage TV crew, you know, uh, going through this, this quarantine zone prison and trying to survive. And that, that'll be my feature. And, and you've actually read that feature. Strangely, you're one of the few people who have yeah. actually read that draft of the script. Um, yeah, I read it in a day and I was just like, this, this is really good. Oh, thank you. you. Know? No, that's, like, and I think I only had like maybe three notes or just questions, yeah, yeah. but other no, than that, was, I was like, they were good notes yeah. too. Yeah. I, and, and so, um, so, you know, that was cool. Right. I, I wrote this thing. I was like, I told everybody, I was like, we're going to shoot it in January. We're just going to do it for no budget or like, you know, like 20 to 30 grand and we'll be fine. And, and of course, you know, stating your intentions to the universe is always a bad idea because it never goes that way. Um, so yeah, that didn't happen. What ended up happening was um, we decided to do a proof of concept short because um, I did not have twenty to thirty thousand dollars. Ironically, we spent at least that on the short, <laughs> but I got it in pieces. I got it in pieces over time, so I would get five here, okay. two here, one here. 
and, and it would build up, you know, and, and I'm actually still pretty amazed that we were able to scrape all that together. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, but what ended up happening is this thing started kind of spitballing out of control <laughs> into something larger. Um, and so what we did first is we shot the first half of the short, which is actually the a part of the beginning of the feature, as you'll remember, which is the TV show. You right. know, so that basically ZTV is a broadcasting company in this post-apocalyptic, post-zombie war reality. Um, that's a version of America called Zed Free America. And, and basically there's a key episode of this show, which is a capital punishment reality game show where they use zombies to torture, kill, and turn into zombies, um, war criminals from the zombie war and their, their families, um, which is pretty, pretty vicious and, and savage in terms of retribution. It's a very eye for an eye kind of like old Testament kind of reality that they have because, you know, basically, um, all the kindness and, and societal norms have just been beaten out of these people um, through the war and through tragedy and just, just the horrors that they've seen have just, you know, um, made them very hard individuals. And a lot of the more kind-hearted people are dead. I mean, they, they, they sacrifice themselves to save their family members or other people, and they're gone. Um, so the people who are left wow. are survivors. <laughs> they are people who have killed countless zombies and possibly even humans. Um, and they are very kind of like hard boiled and, um, you know, very, very tough individuals. None of them are people to mess with, um, in general, <laughs> um, cause they, they will kill you as quick as look at you. If you, you rub them the wrong way after what they've been. Yeah. Not think twice about it. Yeah. It's yeah. Just- I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, so essentially, um, the first shoot we did was, you know, this episode of this show and, and it was pretty amazing experience. We had a crew of about like like 30 to 40 people um, up in Clear Lake, which is pretty remote. Um, and you were there on that shoot. You you played Stubbs, yes. um, which was a character that I wrote for you in the feature, uh, as you remember, um, being very impressed yep. with your acting yep. ability. Um, and then and then yeah, so uh, we shot that, and it was it was pretty wild. I mean, we had like like this wooden box with zombie heads, like living zombie heads, locked into it with spinning circular saws, and we had a 12-foot freestanding wooden cross uh, that Tony Aldrich uh, built, uh, Margaret's husband uh, from Pandora FX. Mm-hmm. Um, he did an amazing job putting these things together and, and building the, the pneumatics and stuff for the, the saws. And, like, you know, we had zombies, we had guts, we had blood. We were using a super soaker full of blood. We had, we had pumps and tubes and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and yeah, it was just really, really wild experience um, that we, we managed to survive. Uh, I remember uh, you and you and Sully were my rocks on that set. You know, every, <laughs> everybody else was losing their minds, and and I just look up and 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 you and, and Daniel Sullivan, uh, who were my my kind of ZTV officers. You guys were so so. Jeff and Sully had these red ski masks on and ZTV crew <laughs> like reserve crew cattle shirts. Prods. They had cattle prods and guns. <laughs> And they basically uh, herded the contestants and forced them to do things at gunpoint. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know it was it was it was great. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that you know, once when you're on location, you have to, in lack of in lack of a better way of saying it, like unfortunately, we didn't have any chickens to sacrifice to the film gods. Yeah. So, so you know, we just had to you know cross our fingers and 
and and pray for a good shoot. And I think overall, you know, you you got I thought I, I'm thinking you got everything that you needed, you know, like done. Oh yeah. Right. No, it's wild. Yeah. yeah. The stuff we got. I mean, the problem yeah. was I was just very, very ambitious. So you you don't you know, when you're super ambitious, uh, which is a good thing, you think, you always fall short of getting everything you want. But ultimately it's like the Rolling Stones song where you get what you need. And I did it definitely. And it was right. great. I mean, this stuff's amazing. Um, right. Right. And you know, then also, but yeah, but you also had like, you know, extras that were there. Oh man, The extras were so awesome. They were, they were cool. They were like cool. clear, like um, natives, you know, that came out, they stood in this hot sun for days. Um, just, just loving everything. We sprayed them with hoses of blood and they loved it. And they loved us for it. And they, they were the best extras I've ever seen on a set. And I love them. And, um, oh, yeah, for sure. It's funny because like, I actually. Oh, go ahead. No, what go you ahead. Say? No, no, I was just saying, you know, I remember actually like like every free moment I had, I, you know, I just walked over to the extras, talked to them, you know, got to know them, you know, thank them for for spending their time, you know, with us. And there's this little girl that you know, was just so enthralled with, you know, the whole process of filmmaking, yeah. you know, so I think I saw she, her actually, I like she was her. all over. Yeah. It. Yeah. She was very sweet. Yeah. That was yeah. Dope. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, it was amazing and just seeing how into it they were, but right now I'm actually working on, so with boy in the dark, I did this like full size hand-drawn poster. Um, and I'm working on a poster for, for the short right now for the ZTV sympathy for the mm-hmm. devil, which is the name of the short. And, um, and I'm going to put the extras in the poster. <laughs> so oh, that's nice. how much I love those extras, uh, with them screaming with all the blood shooting at them. It's going to be amazing. Um, but yeah, so, oh, so that was amazing. It was, it was, it was a really incredible, uh, experience shooting that. Um, and then, you know, afterward, uh, I looked at the footage and I was like, I was like, oh, this is really cool, but it's not a short film <laughs> dramatically. You know, we didn't. We didn't get there dramatically in terms of just having like a solid story. It's an amazing thing unto itself as like a mm-hmm. kind of meta piece of this other universe, like this TV show that would exist from this other world. We're still not seeing the world yet. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, what I did was I sat down and I wrote a short, uh, like a, an actual short, instead of just taking a piece of the feature out, which is what the TV show was. Um, and that's where, okay. um, and that's where ZTV sympathy for the devil came from. And so what it was is in the TV show, um, we see a character named Steffi Sykes, um, at, who is this pregnant woman who is grabbed from her home, um, by you and Sully <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and forced onto this show. And, and we see all the horrible things that happen to her and lead to her zombification over the course of that show. And, and what happens to her baby, which is horrific. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, you know, the messed up thing about that is that you had like what? Uh, so the actress, Emile? Emile, uh, that's her name. Right? Emily. She, she, Emily. Emily, Emily, yeah, yeah. She she has twins. I have a child. And then see, <laughs> see, seeing that baby. Oh, yeah, dear no, God. Oh, and yeah, Pandora Effects, Margaret, Margaret, her husband, they have... <laughs> have a child yeah well the main thing was was, you know on set emily was really in it you know she was method um so part of my job was to keep kind of everybody away from her (laughs) you know and and to not like um you know talk to her about her kids and stuff like that because emotionally she was in such a an intense place um and she brought it man like 
she really did, yeah, she did. like um, anchor. So even though the show is kind of like, you know, we have McAllister Bird who plays our host and he played it amazing and we're spraying him with blood and he's loving it, you know, basking in it. And, and, um, and, you know, we have, and so there's this kind of zany, sadistic, almost humor that, that your character and Sully and McAllister brought to it um, that then is put in check by the intensity of when we see her in anguish on the ground and you throw an axe next to her and they're like, go ahead, cut off your arm. And it's like, oh my God. And then she's like hung like a trophy on that cross. I mean, it's, it's horrifying. Ugh. I mean, it really is horrifying. So basically when I wrote yeah. the short, what yeah. I did was, um, I basically, um, wrote a short about her dad, Douglas Sykes, who's one of the main characters in the feature, as you remember. Um, and right. it's about him having seen the episode and, and him fight, like there's these kind of dueling things within him of sorrow, like extreme sorrow and, and rage and violence. And we see him, it's kind of like this long journey of, or long night of the soul, for him in terms of him balancing or finding a path forward from that. Um, because, you know, he right. blames himself. He wasn't there for his daughter. Um, they came after her because of him, because of what he did. And, and he is to blame for what happened to her yeah. and, and his whole family. I mean, even his wife, you know, um, was, was killed. Um, and when they go to take Steffi, so it, it's just this, this, um, thing where, this guy who is like basically like a human trafficker and a murderer during the war and got convicted for that. Um, this is mm -hmm. something that actually affects him, you know, and he didn't know he could be affected like this. He thought he was too far gone. Mm. You know, um, he's a dog eat dog kind of guy and he did that to survive. He didn't do it out of some need to be cruel or anything like that. That's the world that he comes from. Um, but, but he thought, you know, he thought that was the right way. But then, you know, after what happens to his daughter, um, he starts to kind of like, there's another part of him or another voice in him that starts to speak up and he starts to wonder, you know, um, and that'll lead him into the feature, you know, although he still performs extreme and horrific violence upon uh, Sully in the short. So, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, no. Nice. I can't it's, wait. it's vicious. Although what's interesting is I got a call from my editor, uh, Justin Amore, um, yesterday and he was so excited because mm -hmm. he's cut the first half of the short that's where we're at right now um and he was oh, so yeah. excited about how well it was working and about tom's performance working with um uh, mitch and cheyenne costanza who are like a father daughter um actors that also play a father and daughter in the short and what's funny is one of the mm -hmm. scariest parts of the film actually isn't blood or guts or like you know torture it's this scene between Tom who play uh, Tom Cocanius who plays Doug and uh, Lily who's played by Cheyenne uh, Costanza. And, uh, and, and he's just like, he takes down her hood and he's just talking to her and, and it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying wow. on set. People were holding their breath and leaning in, looking at the, the monitor when this moment was happening. And uh, Tony's Tony's dad who owned the house opened the door and everybody jumped. And I was like, okay, we got we're cooking with fire now. We got something going here. Yeah, you got <laughs> so that's that. Yeah, so, you know, man. this is the dramatic core that I needed for a proper short. And so I'm so glad we took the extra time. I mean, it's been a year since we shot the original footage, but I think taking the extra mm -hmm. time, doing it right, you know, I mean, as independent independent filmmakers, this is an advantage we have. You know, like with big films, they set a, a date, 
of when it's going to come out. And that is it. Like that date is not going to move. And it is, it is a race to that finish line. But with indie film, right. and they can, yeah, they've got the money to actually like make. Well, that's it happen, what happens right? is they so. have to keep throwing money at it, like into a fire, to try to keep pace, you know, to get there. <laughs> sometimes, right. if, I mean, if it's scheduled well and they stay like under budget, then they're fine, you know, it's fine. But if things are, are going out of control, they got to race to get there because that's it, that's their window, you know. Um, and so for indie films, it's like the the classic triangle of good. You know, um, it's like it's like good, cheap, or fast. You know, pick two. Right. Pick and two. I picked yep. good and cheap. <laughs> so good yeah, call. yeah. And and so also this has given us time to get all our marketing stuff together, all our publicity stuff together, to strategize a plan for that. Um, you know, for going into the film festivals and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's 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 um, actually I think it's really amazing because. Like I said, I started writing this thing as a found footage film, but we shot the first section on Alexa Plus, you know, uh, with nice lenses. And then we shot the actual short with an Alexa Mini with Atlas Anamorphic Primes. (laughs) And it looks gorgeous. It looks like it's in CinemaScope. I mean, it it couldn't be higher quality. Like, I I don't know how it could be higher quality. Um, You know, um, just looking at the frames from it, um, and, you know, we've already started talking to um, some distributors and um, and we're looking to talk to some executive producers about maybe coming on board to help package the feature and to raise money for it. Um, but we've already had some really significant bites from some name distributors with like big stuff out there on like Netflix and other stuff just based on showing them uh, the frames from the film, the color, fra- uh, the color corrected frames from the film and the log line and the synopsis for the feature. Um, So I'm feeling really good in terms of having kind of built the thing up from nothing to where it's kind of snowballing and growing into what could be a larger thing, you know, once we get into the feature, you know? Um, Yeah. You know, yeah. As long as you keep, you know, doing, doing the work and, and showing, showing really good stuff. I mean, just, you know, just the irony of you talking about world building during your TEDx talk and then seeing your process from, you know, doing the short, doing the, uh, the found, what the found footage type, you know, thing, uh, that I was a part of. Well, even know, like that one ended so up ago. exceeding yeah. like our attempt at found footage was actually kind of pathetic. And I have a lot of respect for found footage films. I do. Like I love them. I, right. I think that the ones that work are terrifying, you know, cause they are so right. real. Um, but ultimately I, I, right. I'm an artist. I can't help it. Like <laughs> I just end up doing something more polished. And the whole thing is it doesn't really sell as found footage, you know, instead what it'll look like when it's on the TV in the short, is, you know, we're going to add like the VHS kind of feel to it because he's watching it on a VHS tape and like we'll add all that stuff. And we'll have, yeah, we'll have the graphics and the sound design and it'll look like an old TV show, you know, like a retro TV show, which will be dope, you know, and that's fine. I can live yeah. with that. It doesn't need to look like found footage, you know. And originally, you know, found footage was what it was meant to be when we had no money and we ended up finding money um, miraculously. Um, so we were able to yeah. do it do it the way we did and and i think ultimately the response we're getting uh from it and and now like you know i was in pure joy yesterday talking to my editor to find out that it's working that well you know and that he was so excited about it i was like okay i think you know we're, we're gonna really 
make sure that we we kill it in post on this and and just make it the best it can be the most polished like my thing is too um i'm not precious about the stuff i wrote in the script i will cut it if i need to mm-hmm. i will cut it down to the to bare bones i will keep it sharp and strong and and make it look beautiful and and just make it the best um kind of piece that it can be dramatically you know uh with doug at the core of that um in terms of the emotional awesome. journey and and just make sure that you know it leaves people wanting more you know which will be our kind of ramp to the to the feature hopefully which is what it was always designed to do you know oh, cool deal so do, do you are you going to do a crowdfunding uh, yeah for? yeah so we're actually uh, i was actually shooting interviews for the indiegogo uh yesterday <laughs> uh, uh we've shot like i think eight or nine different people so far because there's so many people involved um and yeah so we're going to be gearing up for in a pretty massive indiegogo to uh raise funds to uh pay for the post-production on the film so like the editing the color correction the sound design the final mix um and the the score um and the dcp and you know if we have anything left over from that um we'll probably use it for festivals and and probably also pay off some of the credit cards that are still outstanding from the shoot, but that'll be after we pay for posts. So, uh, that, that would be kind of the order, the pecking order of that. Um, but we have some amazing, gotcha. ridiculous rewards for it that are going to be super cool. Um, that, that, and one of the things also that I've been working on in the, in the vein of world building and universe expansion is I'm actually doing a prequel comic book. Um, cause you know, once again, I started as an illustrator, um, and so I've actually created a comic book called ZTV Undead Empire that expands the universe and even goes beyond what we'll be able to do in the feature um, to show the larger world that this could occupy. So hopefully down the line, like I'd love to do the prequel uh, as a film or I'll probably handle it in the comic first. We'll see what happens. And then there will be like um, sequels to the to the feature as well that could get into um, higher budgets and, and expand the world and, and be really, really amazing. But, you know, first, first things first, gotcha. we're going to do that first. But anyway, gotcha. the, the comic book is going to be one of the rewards uh, for the Indiegogo and it'll be a limited edition issue zero of the comic. That's actually an origin story of one of the key characters in the feature. Um, and this will be numbered and signed and be the only place to ever get it. So it, it'll probably be a pretty, intense collectible to people if this ends up taking off and becoming a larger thing you know in the in the fanverse which we're hoping for um that's that's yeah and then during the campaign to keep things interesting so not just boring everyone with these posts about money um i'm going to be like i've already done the layout like the the digital layout of the entire first issue or this this issue zero Mm -hmm. and i'm going to be uh inking panels uh of it each day and posting the art so uh, people can check out the art, come and check it out. You know, if they can donate, that's awesome. If they can't, if they can share it, spread the word about it, that would be so, so amazing, you know? Um, but yeah, but like, uh, you know, they can, they can, when does it go up? Uh, probably like a month or two from now, probably more like a month. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm going to be going to comic-con in July. Uh, so we'll have to see how it falls around that. And if I'm able to kind of, if everything's set up right, then I can do it remotely while I'm gone for like a week or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, we're going to plan it once we get closer to it. We need to cut the video and stuff, uh, first. And then, um, it would be nice too, to be further into the edit of the film before we post it, because then we can have a trailer 
and some other stuff that we can drop gotcha. during it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah. Gotcha. So once again, you know, I think it's just about, you know, as an indie filmmaker with limited resources and funds, obviously I'm tapped out. I spent every dime that I had on the shoot, which is what they tell you not to do. Like it's literally not what you're supposed to do, but we put it all on the screen, you know? And, and I think ultimately gotcha. uh, I wouldn't do it differently on this one. I think it was, I mean, it just looks so good and it, and it came out so well that I think it was the right choice in this one scenario. It's not something I would do again on another project, but I think uh, given the circumstances and now what it's growing into, it was, it was definitely the right move. Um, well, definitely. I think you definitely got something here. And, you know, after you, after you kick off your inaugural uh, feature film, uh, it should be a little bit easier to get the next one done. We'll see. You know? so, <laughs> I think it yeah, all depends yeah, on how it I say that with a question yeah. mark. <laughs> but one thing I will say is... But you'll be vetted. Yeah, but, but when, oh yeah, I mean, especially if the film comes out and it makes more money than we spend. And, and since we're aiming for a low budget, um, me and my my uh, my partner, uh, my, my business partner, uh, Marissa Gray, who uh, she's my producer. Uh, none of the shoots would have happened without her. I mean... It was amazing being on set because I would look up and there's just like all these people there. And I'm like, where did they all come from? And it's like, oh, yeah, Marissa made all this happen. So. Oh, yeah, Marissa. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's yeah, I know. She's amazing. Oh, yeah. And she's worked tirelessly for years now on this. Um, and, and I don't know anybody else that would have put the time in, um, you know, under these conditions. <laughs> so I thank her. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, and, and then she introduced me to like Pascal, who's like our DP on the short, you know. We worked with Nick Ramsey on the on the TV show uh, part, you know, the preserve part, and he gave his own awesome look to that. Um, and it's kind of cool that we had two different DPs too, because it really does feel like it added production value, and it really does feel like the world exists and that there's different things in it, you know, because there is a different feel between what the short feels like and what the TV show feels like. So it actually worked out really well. Cool. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, yeah, man, just, you know, when, when, when the Kickstarter goes up or, or you, you're doing Kickstarter doing Indiegogo because with Indie, because basically well, we're going forward no matter what. So whatever we raise, right. we're, we're just going to put that to it and keep trucking. Um, yeah, but, uh, but we have a plan to do like some nice publicity and some other stuff during it. And we're hoping that, um, that it can, it can, uh, I mean, what we're really trying to do too, like the other thing about the Indiegogo, it's not just about the money. Um, obviously we need it to finish the film and it's really important, but it's also about getting the word out about the film, building a fan base. And, you know, we really want to tap into like the horror fan base and the, the comic book fan base and, and like all these different fan bases that we can hopefully pull into, into it and, and get on board to, to help us grow the, the, the project and the world into something larger, you know, and that's, that's what we're hoping to do. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So when, when you start your, when you start your, your crowdfunding, you know, that's more than likely when, when this episode will come oh, up cool. and I'll just start shouting from the rooftops, that would be amazing. you know, like, Hey, give, give them some money, give them some money or share. You know? So either yeah, way definitely is good. So, or yeah, share. Sharing is good too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah either yeah. way. Spread the word. Spread and the also, word. So, I think if so, anybody's yeah. listening that um, wants to reach out and like be a part of what we're doing or like, um, connect us with someone that may want to do an article on us or get the word out. Like we're, we're happy to have any help we can get um, to, to just spread the word and, and get it out there. And obviously you putting me on the podcast is amazing, Jeff. Thank you so much. Um, 
add. Yeah. No and, and also it's, it's a good chance. Yeah. So that's a great segue. So how can we get up with that? Um, so yeah. So uh, basically, um, you know, uh, my contact info is on like all my stuff. So like there's my Instagram, which is just Jason Augusta, uh, J-A-S-O-N-R-A-G-O-S-T-A. Um, and you can find me on Twitter through that as well. And then um, it's ZTV, The Preserve, and it's P-R-E-Z-E-R-V-E um, for The Preserve. And you should be able to find us on Facebook and uh, Twitter. Um, and there's also an Instagram page for The Preserve, but we haven't started using it yet. But I'll probably start populating it before we do the Indiegogo. Um, so it'll have all the ZTV-specific content there um, as well. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I've I've wanted to to get you up uh, to do this episode for quite some time. Just you know, yeah, you know, I'm posting each episode and I'm editing, and then you know, as as my backlog of interviews are like dwindling, I'm like, holy shit, who have I not talked to yet? <laughs> and I go through my list of who I needed to talk. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jason, I wanted to talk to. Well, Jason. it was great when you. So yeah, so definitely, it was great you. when yeah. you reached out because I was like, oh, I get to catch up with Jeff, and it's on a podcast. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much like that's that's number two on my list of uh, reasons why I'm doing a podcast is just because like, damn, who have I not spoken right? to in a while? Oh, yeah. Let Good me... way to keep, keep yeah, up so, with people. Yeah, Everybody's awesome. so busy. It's crazy. <laughs> I know it's nuts, man. But hey, thanks a lot for coming oh, on. Yeah. Can't Anytime. wait for, you know, for the crowdfunding to come in. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll check it out. And yeah. Thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And it, it was a blast. And like I said, you know, if you want to meet up and bring your son over, I can give him all kinds of stop motion tricks and tips for sure. Um, and get him all trained up. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. We'll make him a pro so he can That's start definitely making happen. some moves. Thanks for tuning in on another episode of LJ presents. As always, you can find me on my website at ljeffreymore.com. Twitter at ljeffreymore and on Instagram at ljeffrey.more. Make sure to check back next week for another great guest. See you then.